Molly King, are you ready for the podcast? Matt, you know the answer to that always, but can you just pass me some water, please? Water? I think you mean Evian. There's something special about how it comes from high up in those pristine mountains. I know Evian's the official water of Wimbledon, but I didn't know it was carbon neutral. It's been carbon neutral since 2020, and that bottle that you are holding right now, that's made of recycled plastic. Of course you've got all the facts. I love it. But should we crack on with the show? Evian's 750 millilitres and 1.5 litre bottles are made from 100% recycled plastic. This excludes the label and cap. It's me, Molly King. And me, Matt Edmondson. And welcome to another episode of Wimbledon Between the Lines. Produced in partnership with our chums, Evian, this is the podcast that takes you right to the heart of the All England Club. And here we are, right in the heart. I think we're in the left ventricle of it right now. We're into the second week of Wimbledon 2022. What a couple of days we've got in store for you, no doubt full of twists and turns, much like this ventricle. Highs and lows, (laughs) much like my blood pressure, triumph and disaster. I can't relate that back to a heart. I'm so sorry. Should never have mentioned the heart, should I? Tell you what though, we've got so much coming up. We're going to be chatting to TV presenter Sophie Morgan and hear all about her day at Wimbledon. And we'll round up all the action on court as the quarterfinal lineup nears completion. So hold on to your rackets as we go between the lines at Wimbledon. I'm holding them, one in each hand. Okay, a quick request from me at the top of this. Can we all just try and keep it down, keep the energy a bit lower than usual? I'm still recovering from Centre Court's 100th birthday party over the weekend. I went wild. I was up past 10pm. Wow, that is big for you. How did it it feel? Oh, absolutely exhausting. I'm ruined. Did you watch it? (laughs) Of course I did. Yeah, who can blame you? The guest list was incredible, wasn't it? It was almost like one of your birthday parties. Past (laughs) champions from Billie Jean King, Bjorn Borg, Stefan Edberg, Venus Williams, Roger Federer. They were all there. There was music from Freya Ridings. What's her one again? Standing at the platform, (laughs) watching you go. She probably did that. It was incredible. (laughs) Why are you singing it in that Irish accent? That's how she's standing at the platform. (laughs) That's as close as I can get to Freya Ridings. That's why I wasn't I would love to play that back to Freya Ridings. Really? Please don't. Please don't. Freya, I'm so sorry if you're listening, and no doubt she is. She's a Wimbledon enthusiast. (laughs) Well, can we talk actually, Matt, about what a lovely moment Sue Barker had yesterday? Did you see the standing ovation she got in the crowd on Centre Court? It brought it to my eye. It brought it to Sue's eye. Who can blame her and who can blame the crowd? It was so emotional though, wasn't it? You could see how much it meant to her. In all seriousness, when you think of Wimbledon, I think throughout my entire life of watching it, Sue Barker has been there. Yeah. The thing I always thought was amazing is obviously she does loads of the coverage for the BBC, so we kind of know her, but she's known amongst the tennis fans and tennis community as an iconic tennis player in her own right. But also the fact that she gets to be the sort of face of the trophy giving ceremony and gets to do the interviews with the men's and women's finalists right at the end. I mean, she's so closely associated with Wimbledon. She's sort of up there with strawberries and cream, isn't she? She really is. I know, she's going to be so missed, isn't she? I know. And if you're watching Sue and thinking this woman is amazing and iconic, that isn't even the half of it. We've got a story coming up from our guest Sophie Morgan's day, which elevates Sue beyond national treasure status. Yes, it really does, doesn't it? So we're talking to you today from the carbon-neutral Evian suite, a little oasis away from the hustle and bustle of court number one. Yes. Now, as we record this, it is the second Monday, traditionally known as Manic Monday. It is very 
very, very busy it's outside. It's a out there. It really is. So you and I, I mean, we've made it to week two. I'm quite proud of ourselves. Yes, we're at the business end of the tournament. The good news is our tennis expert, Charlie Eccleshare, will be Eccleshareing. Some of the names still left in the championships a little bit later on. Spoiler alert, it may or may not be good news for Molly in the sweepstakes. That's all I'm saying. I might have been following the action myself in my own private life. Yes, I have as well. I'm not looking forward to it. If you'd please stop smiling quite so much about it. Listen, I'm just happy to be at the Evian suite. <laughs> So we popped inside now to welcome our next guest who's going between the lines at Wimbledon. She's been lucky enough to spend the day not only on Centre Court, but also here in the Evian Suite. Which is almost literally overflowing with water. You're still not wrong there. or sparkling. Your choice. And Sophia, it is your choice. Still or sparkling? Sparkling, please. Sparkling, please. We've had so many people go for sparkling. Great choice, Sophie. <laughs> yes, come over to my side. So tell me, firstly, how's your day been? Who have you seen? What have you seen? So this is the first time I've ever been just to, well, to Centre Court and to Wimbledon at all. So it's been amazing. The weather's been perfect. It's been a right treat. And I saw Kyrgios play, which was extraordinary. <gasps> yeah. First the time, bad, how was he? Yeah, I hear mm. this. He's a bad boy. I didn't know that. I didn't know. He seemed really nice. He seemed like a good boy out there. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. good, good. Yeah, Those kind good. of moments where you're like, <gasps> no, no, no. I was loving it. It was so much fun. And good. also the disabled seating where we were, which is like just, it seems to be the best seats in the house. There was a little boy next to us who was so so excited so we're just getting really involved and cheering and having fun so it's oh. great now your cv is absolutely ridiculous you're a tv presenter you've uh, fronted three paralympic games you've hosted series for the bbc and channel four you've appeared on loose women <laughs> perhaps the greatest accolade of them all <laughs> uh you're also a writer and an artist and you're an award-winning disability advocate huh. sophie morgan your linkedin page must be <laughs> so long to scroll it's ridiculous um, how would you describe what you do is there any one thing or are you are you uh, do you love the fact that you have so many sort of multi-potentialite ventures <laughs> that you go down i like it's a great question i think i like all of it but the disability advocate one i suppose i'm most proud of but it wasn't an intentional choice that kind of came around because we need and the disability movement needs as many voices in it as possible so the more i got the chance to speak or got a platform to speak i used it and so that kind of came around accidentally but i'm very proud to do it but i'd say my favorite thing is probably presenting on a travel show which okay. i've just been doing which Working. is really fun yes. yeah it's great right and i mean whenever you get to travel with work it's just so much fun you work a lot in sport as well don't you what is it that you love about presenting in that world so i started on the Paralympic Games in 2012 and I was a really small part of that presenting team and that was really exciting because it was the first time ever that we'd seen disabled talent on uh, really being put, put forward to present so that was a real privilege but then when I got more involved in the 2016 Games and I was I was one of the lead anchors that was so much fun because it was just great to be part of the paras in themselves, but to see how the sport had evolved because yeah. the sport, Paralympic sport's been obviously been around forever, but it hadn't, it, after 2012, it really shifted. And so the quality of the sport got better and the quality of the broadcasting got better and everything got better and better and more exciting and also being in Rio. So I'd say the, the best things about broadcasting on sport is the traveling and the, the the actual being part of being involved in it but also moving forward this sort of disability sports and disability agendas as well there's a lot to it and to watch which is the one that sucked you in mm. which sport yeah good question ah uh, i'd say do you know actually the tennis good uh, answer. yeah uh, yeah and uh, yeah and, and not a prompted answer i would definitely say it was the tennis because uh, i i used to play tennis when i was a kid and i loved it and then when i had my accident 
and I went to learn again, I found it the hardest sport to play. Have you ever tried wheelchair tennis? Never. No. Yeah. We watched quite a bit um, of it. We yeah. had Gordon Reid on the podcast, who is world number two, um, brilliant He's guy, incredible. Scottish guy. Yeah. Uh, and watching him move yeah. around that court. But he makes it look easy, Matt. He does. It's so hard. It's so much skill yeah. is required. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you later on if you've ever given it a go because my goodness, that skill yeah. is unreal. Because not only does it, you, you need to have obviously the skills that any tennis player would have. It's the moving of the chair with your tennis racket in your hand and then timing it perfectly. If you don't time, obviously this, it seems really obvious thing to say, but if you don't time it perfectly and your chair's moving just too quickly, and then you can't get the it's just I found it so hard that I just went no it's not for me I can't do it I can't do it so I loved watching it and obviously we've got such great British players amazing players some of the best in the world like you said Gordon Reid Alfie Hewitt I mean Jordan Wiley there's there's loads of them they're brilliant to watch and the doubles as well we watched some of the doubles didn't we we and I just think in terms of the communication there there's so much to do because because actually getting into each other's space could lead to some real problems (laughs) yeah and the fact that I mean I I, I've played doubles tennis like as a kid. It's hard to know. It's like, are you getting this? Yeah. Or am I getting yeah. this? Yeah. 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 Right. It's a bit like when we present, there's, there has to be some telepathy going on. <laughs> yeah, of like, true. You know, make sure that you don't talk over me or I don't talk over you. We don't both go for the same thing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. None of us are going to crash into the other, like physically when that happens. What they're doing out there, I, I just don't know how they're communicating. Yeah, yeah no, I know. It takes, it's amazing. Especially when you see some of the teams that have played together, the doubles teams that have played together for so long, like Alfie and Gordon, they must just have a sixth sense and know exactly what they're doing at all must times. Do. They're incredible. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's really, really hard. And so I, don't, I kind of didn't really pursue it. I wish I had tried harder, but no, it's hard. It's really difficult. The serving, I thought, was amazing. Yeah. You're basically serving at net height. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's extraordinary. And it's all, that's the thing about para sport. I'd say again to your question about what I enjoy about para sport is seeing all these sports that have been adapted mm. is really interesting and, and trying to get people who are who haven't had experience with them because I, I wasn't a Paralympian myself I got into the, the the broadcasting just because I was pursuing a career in broadcasting so to learn about the sports and how they've been adapted and how challenging they are and then to try and communicate that to a non-disabled audience is really it's fun in itself just to get people to see differently like the, how the sport has changed and how hard it is and how fun it is and, and then get people really into it because it's just sport at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how it's played. It's yeah. still it's engaging to watch. Yeah, it really mm. is. Yeah. Can I ask you about what happened to you when you were 18? Yeah, of course. I So when I was 18, I was leaving school and I had finished school in the June time and then I'd had a couple of months of, of just having fun that amazing feeling that I'm sure we can all probably slightly remember you know when you leave school and you're just about to step out into adult life and you're off on an adventure and I had had a couple of months of that and then I came back to get my A-level results which is in the August and that night that I got the A-level results I was driving home from the party where I collected my results and I was sober and and seat belted and all of that but I lost control of the car I was driving and and uh, broke my back so I was paralysed instantly from the chest down and was taken into a hospital in Scotland, then flown down to London to rehabilitate for three months. And then, yeah, gone, for, gone on from there. So I kind of came out of hospital, a full-time wheelchair user and um, a paraplegic. And yeah, I've just sort of gone, forged a quite ex- sort of unusual life since then, really, kind of figuring out where I was going to go and what I was going to do. I wasn't very sure at the time. I was intending... When I was at school, I was intending to study law, 
which is a really extraordinary idea looking back on it but it was what it was and then I had my accident and turned around and said I want to study art because I loved that so I went and shifted direction in life and followed my passion but then that led on to some extraordinary opportunities so I did a couple of BBC documentaries where I was a contributor and we went on some amazing oh gosh I did the most extraordinary show called Beyond Boundaries I don't know if you remember it it was in BBC on BBC 2 2004 it took about 11 disabled people from one side of Nicaragua to the other on foot and so it was like a massive expedition and I did that and then that kind of led into telly so I sort of again found myself on a different path unexpectedly and yeah that's how I've got to where I am today really. It's amazing that you've been able to take all these challenges and actually mm. some of the opportunities that come up with them in your stride and how you've done them it's uh it's, it shows a sort of incredible strength of mind and you know when we're chatting to gordon his story's slightly different mm. uh it was he was younger mm-hmm. than, than you were and his came through a, a sort of viral infection transverse myelitis yeah i know yeah and I guess he found the source of his inspiration or his uh, his drive through discovering his love of tennis and that that was the thing that he could put all of his passion into. Did you have a similar thing? Was it the decision to study art? Was there something else that allowed you some focus in what I can only imagine would have been an incredibly difficult and dark time? I think looking back on it, I couldn't say there was one thing specifically. I think there was a combination of of drivers really one was this determination to get my life back because I very nearly died in the crash and I was so close to being an adult and I as I said earlier had only tasted a couple of months worth of freedom so to Mm. speak having just left school and I was like I want it more I want more so I was really determined to get that back and get my independence back however that looked I think then I also got very motivated by some of the the perceptions that I started to encounter when I left hospital and the sort of discriminations that kept, that kept happening, sort of people saying you can't do this or you can't go there or literally physical barriers stopping me from being able to live my life. And that, that was a bit of a like, right, I need to find a way to, to change this. And, and again, that goes back to what I was saying about the sort of accidental activist or accidental advocate that I've become because there was just so much that needed to be changed. And so I got quite motivated by that. I also think I had the best friends and family around me. So I had all of that to help push me forward when I didn't think I could do it anymore. Mm. But I'd also say, people say that about my story. They're like, oh, it's a, you've got so much resilience or you've got so much uh, strength or whatever. But I would say most people would be surprised by how much they can withstand until they have to do it themselves. And, I, I, you know, if you if the shoes was on the other foot, so, so to speak, I would probably say, how did you do that? Because you just don't know what you're capable of until you're put into that situation. And I think as an 18 year old girl, I had no idea that I would be able to do what I did. But you do, you just, you find a way. So yeah, I don't think it was one thing. And, that, and those motivations change all the time as well. So today, you know, my mission is one thing, which was, it wasn't when I was younger. So it just keeps evolving. What is your mission at the moment? Now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a number of things I think it's very much to shift perceptions around disability yeah I think I've got a strong agenda to increase the visibility of disability whether that be myself or others and I use obviously tv to do that as that's one way of doing it I think to encourage and empower more disabled leadership we don't see enough of of that and and really at the heart of it is this sort of accurate representation of disability and actually yesterday was the start of disability pride month 
And so there's a lot of talk at the moment about what does disability pride mean? And for me, that's part of the work I do. It's all about sort of reclaiming this identity of being very proud to be different, being very proud to be disabled and not seeing that word as a dirty word, mm. seeing that as a, as a label to be proud of. So that's very much a, a mission of mine as well. And then all of the stuff about disability just goes to one side and it's about just living a really fun, happy, fulfilled, purposeful life. So Sophie, how has the Evian suite been for you today? I mean, it's fab in here, isn't it? It's so nice. Yeah. I felt proper VIP. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is the first time I've been to Wimbledon and then to come in here as well. It's just like, yes, this is lovely. Great food. Obviously lots of water. Yes. Which is important because it's hot out there. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been really lovely. Been treated really well. Obviously, the partnership between Wimbledon and Evian is a special one. You'll have experienced that today. Uh, they've collaborated again for this year's Wimbledon Championships that have become a, an iconic moment yeah. of summer. And we've been thinking a lot about iconic moments over the last few weeks. And, and if you were to isolate one moment of your career, they're like, yes, that was iconic for me. What does that bring up for you when you think about it? Okay, I think given what we've been talking about I'd say the day I arrived in Rio in 2016 and we broadcast live to what was apparently like, I can't even tell you how many millions of people. We didn't want to know. Yeah. It's the first time I'd ever done live broadcasting. Really? Oh, ever. Oh my, my goodness. goodness. The oh, amount you know, of people that would have been watching. Terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just learned about the Paralympics themselves, which are very complicated. And I was sitting on the, in the hot seat with my co-presenter and they went, you know, we're live. And I remember <gasps> we did the first bit and it felt so monumental. And we introduced the games and everything kicked off. And it was, it was so wonderful to be there. And obviously it was Rio, so it was carnival atmosphere. And then I remember we went to a break, a really, really badly. We timed it really badly. And this, we went, I went on Twitter and somebody messaged saying, I think these two are out of their depth. Oh, I know, no. I know. We were like, yes, we are. We oh. are. We're out of our depth. There's but that always was a somebody there that wants to say but something it, you know like what? that. It was true. It was true because we were so nervous. We were so, the pressure was so huge. I mean, my co-presenter, we knew it was the beginning of our, of our, of our careers. It was yeah. the start of something. So we were like the pressure, the pressure, plus don't mess it up. It's the Paralympics. So, the, so I'd say that was for me a really massive moment. Yeah. And once you get through that first bit, it's like yes. anything, right? You chill out afterwards. You totally yeah. But it's do. always that, fir- the that nerves of the first bit. First time doing anything like that, it's terrifying. <laughs> and you've got that voice in your head, haven't you? Oh, like, you don't do. mess this up. Yeah. And you're like, The I'm Twitter trying. guy, yeah. like, literally confirmed yes, all exactly. my fears. I was like, no. <laughs> I think that's half the problem is how do, do people deal with pressure and nerves and yes. going into these, ma- like going onto Centre Court. Like, totally. Yeah. That's the thing. It's not so, not so much the skill, is it? It's the, the delivery. And like, how do you deliver? How do you actually step up and not let those nerves get to you? Yeah. I mean, I certainly, I failed. We totally got, my nerves got to me badly. Drink more of what makes you sparkle. Try Evian's new sparkling water, fresh from the Alps with light, fine added bubbles. Discover Evian sparkling water. Who needs bubbles when you can have sparkles? So here on our podcast, we have been asking our guests 
to write down something that means a lot to them, whether it's something just fun and upbeat or whether it's something that is a quote that really lives with them so that we can then sort of recycle it a bit like we do with the Evian bottles and pass it on to our next guest. I feel like having chatted to you, I know it's only been, what, 10, 15 minutes, (laughs) but I feel like you've got so much wisdom and like I could just chat to you for so long would you be all right to write a quote for us of course I can well before we before we get your quote maybe for inspiration we have another inspirational quote which was left by our last guest so Izzy Bizu so she's a singer and a songwriter and she I'll be honest she's in a very neat paper folder as well as neat as anyone's done it Uh, so uh, she's popped the message inside our Evian bottle which I do will I get to out. read it? Yeah, you do get to read it. Well, we don't know what this says. Oh, right. And we also can't vouch for her handwriting. <laughs> so let's see. Only seek validation from yourself. Now that's pretty good. good. That's I really that's, good. I think that's very true. You know, you yeah. spend a lot of time, don't you, worrying about what other people yeah. are thinking yeah, about you. Yeah. Lord knows I do. Yeah, you totally oh gosh, do. You know I do. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes call Matt up about a nasty comment somebody's left. <gasps> no. A few, few weeks ago, Matt's like, Moll, just drop it now. Yeah. But they live with us, right? Yeah, yeah. They do. It's always the one that sticks out, isn't yeah. it? Always. And it just stays in your nice ones. Yeah. And there's yeah. one mean one there. <laughs> I know. You've had it before where literally a year later... <laughs> Mole will be like, yes, but if you, you remember asked, that time. If, you asked, if you asked Brian that sent a text in, I think he would say the opposite. I was like, oh my God, you've remembered it. You've remembered it and that person's name. Oh no, it's tattooed in my mind. You've got to let it go. So bad. It's a hard one to follow, but a good one to be reminded one, yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right, so shall I write one in? Yes. If you wouldn't mind popping it there in the bottle. Pleasure. And our, our, ma- next our next guest. guest. We'll never get that out. Now, obviously, we're here, you're here. Sue Barker, I think, is here. And we've heard that you have an excellent Sue Barker story. Yeah, I honestly, I'll never forget it. It was about, I just landed this first job that when I was going to be presenting in, in, in Rio on the, on the Paralympics. And I got a phone call out of the blue one afternoon and it was Sue Barker. <gasps> no! Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't believe it at first. Like, what, who? Yeah. And it was, it's, it's Sue Barker. Um, and, and a friend of, of a mutual friend uh, the, uh, who had actually, he'd been training me for the, the, the job. He had known Sue for years and he'd asked her to give me a call uh, to give me some advice, which she did for oh about half gosh. an hour of all of the things that you could possibly need to hear in preparation for doing the scariest job I've ever done. Obviously one that she does in her sleep, you know, she can just, she's just the best, she's just the best at what she does. And she, yeah, she told me all the things that I needed to do to make sure I could combat my nerves. Obviously it didn't really work that well, but she gave me, yeah, just uh, her time. It was so lovely, so generous. She was amazing. And um, she just wished me the best of luck. And then I, and I remember, cause I was, I was sitting on holiday and I was actually in a swimming pool at the time because I hadn't, I just thought it was, I didn't, so I was just floating going, I'm speaking to Sue Barker. I'm speaking to Sue Barker. For about half an oh hour. And I was like, thank you very much. It was, yeah, it was lovely. When you put the phone down, were you like, um, uh, everybody, uh, uh, that was Sue yeah, Barker literally. And it was like, what? No. <laughs> I was like, this Seriously, yeah, it's so lovely. She I didn't was so think nice. I could love Sue Barker any more I than know. I do. I know. Uh, I mean, stories. Every time I see her on, on telly now, I think I know some of your tricks. I know some of the things, the little hacks, because she shared them with me. And it was just like, wow, she's just a pro. She's brilliant. She's, she's so already great. in the god tier oh. at the top of the pyramid. Where do Does you go from that? Does it get higher that? than that? I know. Where do you, she's, she's now balancing on top of the pyramid. Yes. <laughs> 
That's incredible. <laughs> Sue Barker. What a lovely lady Sue Barker is. I love Sue Barker. That's amazing. Can you oh, share with us legend. like one of the tips say, and tricks that's, on, that's please, stuck with you? I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, rip off Sue's on shtick now. here. <laughs> Oh, no, because um, now I'm just going to remember it. the really basic ones. I remember what she said. She said, you, you can't make a mistake because one of the things a, a new presenter will do is when they make a mistake, they panic. You know, they're kind of, oh, um, so sorry. Or, you know, on live TV, you, you'll stumble or you'll stutter or you'll, you know, you'll make it obvious. And mm. she said, you can't make a mistake. It's how you recover. So just let it go. So she's, and when she said that, I started noticing how when mistakes are made, that when they're made by the pros, you don't know. You just don't yeah. know. You know, they'll start to say someone's name wrong, but instead of falling apart and just going, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed, they go, oh no, and they just repeat the name. Yeah, now they're so smooth, so aren't smooth. they? So smooth, so smooth. They make oh. it look effortless. And they say they make it look like they know exactly what they're doing, even when they don't. Yes. So yeah, so that was another bit. Sophie, we have loved chatting with you, but we want to get to know you a little bit more, if that's okay. So in honour of Centre Court turning 100 yesterday, we've put 100 seconds on the clock and we're going to throw you some quick fire questions. Now, don't overthink it. Just say the first thing that comes into your mind. Are you ready for this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go. I will kick things off in three, two, one. Mountains or beach? Mountains. Henman Hill or Murray Mount? Murray Mount. Doubles or singles? Singles. Still or sparkling avian? Sparkling. What's your middle name? Don't have one. Oh. Really? Yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Uh, what time do you go to bed? Oh, too late. What advice would you give to your younger self? Make mistakes. Would you like to travel way into the future or way into the past? Ooh, ooh, past. Which tennis player would you most like to meet? Nadal. What is your most used emoji? Um, awkward face. Yeah. <laughs> One way you're trying to reduce your carbon footprint. Ooh, not having children. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? That's really tough. That's tough. And you're doing a travel show, so you should know better than most. Everywhere, anywhere, everywhere. In a van. City or countryside? Countryside. If you weren't a broadcaster, what would you like to do? Paint. Hmm. Um, Sorry, I need to be quicker here. Come on, Ollie. Favourite place to go on holiday? Somewhere new. Uh, Outdoor picnic or posh afternoon tea? Outdoor picnic. Do you have a nickname? Mog. I think that is the 100 seconds. Hey. You don't have a middle name. No. What I happened don't. there? Well, I don't really know. I had one, but it got lost on, in paperwork somewhere. Yeah, so now oh I don't have one. Gosh. I don't know. Suddenly my passport doesn't have one. My, we, we lost the, my parents lost my birth certificate. So we don't, I just don't have one. I don't know where They know what the middle name must be, it, surely. They know what it is, but it's not on any of my paperwork. Right, okay. So it's just disappeared. It's so now gone. I've technically I've written it out. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And can you share what it was? It was Louise. Louise. Yeah. Yeah, I think oh. you'd let that go. Yeah, exactly. I like Louise. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Thank we have loved chatting with you today. Thank you. And uh, do you know what? We won't keep you anymore because I know that Nadal's on, isn't he? And yes. you're racing back to see him. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was great to hear from Sophie there, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And brilliant to be joined by our next guest as well, Molly. It's a subject that is incredibly close to your heart as well. It is, yes. So I got diagnosed with dyslexia when I was eight. And I am so over the moon to be joined by our next guest, Elizabeth Tetchy, who's the chief executive of the charity Aspire to Inspire Dyslexia. Elizabeth, firstly, thank you so much for joining us. How's your day been, first of all, here at Wimbledon? It's been absolutely fantastic. Honestly, it's really, really lovely. Um, yeah, it's been great. 
Have you I've, managed to see much tennis? I did, yes. Um, came in the morning. I've just sort of been walking around and um, exploring. Went for my strawberry and cream. Yeah. Didn't want to forget that. Yeah. And of course, I had my fish and chips as well. Oh, wow. it's been amazing. That's to be done, yeah. yeah. What an incredibly British day out you had. <laughs> I know, it sounds like a dream day, that, doesn't it? And also, I like that the order you described them, I imagine is the order you had them, which was like the dessert first, first and then, and then, then the fish and chips. Yeah. <laughs> And Elizabeth, you're here today because the Wimbledon Foundation supports your charity. That's right, yeah. Without the Wimbledon Foundation and other charities that support us, I don't know where we'll be. So, Elizabeth, tell us about the charity that you've set up because you actually set it up yourself, didn't you? I did, yes, yeah. So the charity is known as Aspire to Inspire Dyslexia. It actually speaks for itself. I was diagnosed at the age of 32. Um, so I was one of the late um, people to be diagnosed. And... Um, before that, there was a lot of frustration around mm. why I didn't get no GCSEs, while I didn't really engage in school, and why I always used to bank off, we used to call it. The play, yeah. They call it something else now, don't they? Um, and that wasn't something, it's not something I'm proud of, but I just couldn't engage in class. So when um, I hit 32 years of age, and I'm not going to tell you the rest of my age, I won't even <laughs> tell you what year I was born, by the way. This must have only been a couple of years ago. Exactly. A couple of years ago, well yes. <laughs> um, It's when my back was slack against the wall and I really wanted to turn my life around. But um, I just didn't understand why learning was stopping me. Mm. So I just kind of went to South Bank University and I just kind of said to the admissions officer, I'm here to learn. And she looked at me like, listen, this ain't some sort of restaurant where you can come in and pick, you know, subjects off the menu. And she said, what do you want to learn? And I just thought, whatever this availability. So there was a space on human resource management. And I took that and I fell drastically my first year. And that's when dyslexia was diagnosed. Otherwise, if I hadn't gone to university to find out what I can study, I would never have found out that I've got dyslexia. And, and how did you find it out? Because it must have been quite overwhelming to feel for your entire life like you knew that there was something different about you but you couldn't articulate what it was or, or had no help in doing that who was it that sort of said maybe you want to get checked out for dyslexia it was one of the lecturers um, at the time and in fact I felt a bit offended I thought well, what's this woman talking about mm -hmm. you know there's nothing wrong with me it's the word I yeah. used but um, when I was I was diagnosed with dyslexia and dyspraxia and then later on I was, I was diagnosed with dyscalculia and visual stress and I'm on a waiting list for um, ADHD assessment as well so there's a lot of this is going on in my life at the moment. How yeah. did you feel when you got the diagnosis because I know for me it was a massive feeling of relief like okay I understand why I'm different I understand why I'm finding things that all my classmates you know they're finding it easy I understand why I'm finding it a bit more challenging I guess. Did you feel that same sense of relief or was there any kind of anger as in oh why wasn't this picked up earlier? How did you feel when you had that diagnosis? I think for me it was both you know I was a bit frustrated because I was like always the last you know to play sports no one would pick me because mm. the ball is coming this way and I'm going the other because of my dyspraxia and of course you know with the dyslexia I was like the bottom of the class so I was frustrated at first and then I think through university and when I did eventually graduated and started A2I actually is when I started A2I the penny dropped and I thought do you know what actually this is a huge relief and one of the, the reason why I set up now is to help people like myself who may see dyslexia as shame or a stigma or 
um, you know, mental health or whatever they might go through with dyslexia, particularly in the black community. It's something that's not spoken about a lot. And of course, the BME community as well. So black, Asian and other ethnic minority communities, some who have never, ever spoken about dyslexia. And I'm trying to break that barrier. I do feel like things are moving in the right direction, but there is still work to be done, isn't absolutely, there? Absolutely. Absolutely. We still get parents ring us up and say, look, schools are telling me they've got no funding. I'm going to have mm. to go private and do my daughter my daughter or my son assessment privately yeah but now there's a huge waiting list i mean we've got waiting list till may 2023 at least wow. because there ain't enough assessors yeah. um, that are qualified enough to do the assessment mm. so parents have already got their money ready but there ain't assessor and, and the people to come and do the work so there's a huge waiting list it's quite night from 1970 when i was born i've given my way age away now <laughs> <laughs> one thing we weren't gonna do <laughs> You know, from the 70s till as I speak now, not much has changed, to be honest. And it's also those that can't afford it will actually go and do it privately and pay the excess money. And those that can't are just left behind. And it's really sad. And that's why A2I was set up, to bridge that gap. So when we get funding from, like, the Wimbledon Foundation, it really does fill that gap for those on low-income um, families that can't afford assessment or one-to-one tuition well like you say these these getting these assessors to come out and diagnose people it's so expensive the tests and i've actually spoken in parliament about it saying we need more help we need more dyslexia teacher assessors how has the wimbledon foundation helped your charity it sounds like there's such a great partnership how did that come about wow wimbledon foundation they have been a real if i can say um a pillar for our organization. So uh, the funding we get for them, we use some of the funding for employability skills for the adults mm-hmm. and some of the funding for the children is like tuition. So we help with that. Now we've got other funders that will fund, let's say the assessment. So one of the great moments for us with the foundation is last, just before pandemic, we got some uh, funding for podcasts and live shows. So we were able to reach the wider community. We were based in Battersea, in Wandsworth. Now, pre-pandemic, we, we served locally. But when we were online, there were people that could actually tap into the services and be able to go for the help they need. And a typical example is, like the other day, I got a phone call from a parent that said her nine-year-old daughter sees black when she reads, black spots when she reads. And she said, I don't know what it is. And she said, I went to listen to one of your podcasts funded by the Wimbledon Foundation. And now I think she might have visual stress. So she's actually going for the test for the dyslexia and visual through the podcast and through the money that we got from the Wimbledon Foundation. That is brilliant. What what a fantastic um, thing, resource that will be there forever for people to come and uh, to listen to and find out more about. It's been really lovely to get to hang out with you and I hope that you've had a brilliant day with Wimbledon. And this is like, you know, I know the rest of it's for everyone else, but this is a nice bit of the partnership for you, right, getting to come down here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right, Marlon, it's that time again. I'm buzzing. You're buzzing. It's the part of the pod where we get to Eccleshare with a man called Charlie Eccleshare, our tennis expert, Charlie Eccleshare. What an introduction there, Charlie. You into that? I think that's a record. Well, record number of shares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It means you're really going to share today, <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. it? it really well, does. listen, Charlie, put me out of my misery. I mean, I'm worried here. Tommy Paul. BTP. Mm, I know. Even from that, mm, yeah, it's not good July news for him. July 4th, as we record as well, American yeah. Independence Day. But it was bad news for Tommy Paul, oh. I'm afraid. 
But great news for Great Britain. Well, I was just going to say, it's a win-win, isn't exactly. it? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yes, because you were split. You didn't know who to support, the Brits. Didn't know. Or Big TP. You hedged yourself perfectly, because now you get to take Cam Norrie with yes. our rule of sort of, you oh, know, you're you buying get a lifeline. Back in. I'm yeah. buying back in, baby. Yes. You can't All in on back. Cam exactly. <laughs> you, you, it's a buyback, and you know, I discovered this after the podcast, Charlie only accepts Bitcoin. Yes, that is true. Or NFTs. That's right. You're going to have to draw a picture of an ape for him. I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. Cam Norrie then. I mean, Mm. let's talk about him. Do you think he could go the whole way? Um, I think he will win his match tomorrow. So Uh, that's no. He's saying no. no, I I don't think he'll go the way. Because there's a man called Novak Djokovic, this kind of enormous um, obstacle in, in his and everyone's way, to be honest. But... Uh, we record Monday. He plays his quarterfinal Nori on Tuesday against David Goffin, and I think Nori will win that and get to the semi-final. Oh, that's exactly. I'm going to be at that game, guys, oh, tomorrow. Yes, you will. Give him a cheer from me. I will give him a cheer. Yeah, Has Cam, it? Cam, you're the man. I'll shout on your behalf. <laughs> Cam, Cam, you're Molly's uh, man. Let's, yeah. let's yeah, let's re- rework that somehow okay. before tomorrow. Kyrgios, who I bought into big time with the old NFTs with Charlie. Kyrgios has attempted the old between-the-leg shot. We've all tried, haven't we? Well, you've tried many a time. Many Ever times. Out? Oh, it depends on the circumstances. How you, how, <laughs> well, I'll talk to you more about that when the mics aren't rolling. But what I want to know is how's it gone for Kyrgios out there? Well, that shot in particular didn't really pay off. He what, tried, a, what a shame. He tried it whilst volleying and got in a bit of a mess. Mm. But he did win his match. Good. So Nick Kyrgios is still in, and it was a tough match as well. And it was exactly the kind of match everyone would normally expect him to implode because the going got tough, and he he's this big showman, and he won on Saturday night, raucous crowd against a big, big player, Stefanos Tsitsipas, and there's a bit of edge, and that's mm. when he's great. This was a little bit of a... Had a bit of a hangover-y feel. It was kind of first match on. The atmosphere was more subdued. He was playing a very solid opponent... Uh, who Kyrgios was expected to beat. And it was a t- it was a grind of a match, but he got it done in five sets um, and spoke afterwards about how he feels like that's just a match he, he would not have won in the past and how he's sort of learning how to do it and how to dig deep and all of this. Again, we've sort of been here with Kyrgios before where you think, maybe he's changed, maybe this is the time. And then he comes and is awful the next match. So don't want to get too carried away, but just judging it on today was, was really impressive. Let's get carried away. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Let's get carried away. I mean, he is, your, he is your last row of the dice. He's because my last. He's, I know. I can sense a bit of desperation coming. Let's get carried away. <laughs> Please, Charlie, tell Please me to get carried away. Me, just don't tell me not to get carried away. <laughs> I mean, does Kyrgios stand a real chance here? Because where I'm seeing it from, obviously, so many headlines with his big personality. Mm. How good is his tennis game? Is he up there with your, you know, your Djokovic? Obviously, he's beaten now Tsitsipas. Where mm. is he really in the rankings? Well, talent-wise, he is up there with anyone. He's right. absurdly talented, but he's just, you know, he, he admits himself. He doesn't train as hard as the others. He doesn't play all that much of the year. I mean, he's ranked around 40, but even okay. that is pretty impressive because he, he just... He skips a lot of tournaments. He stays at home in Australia for a lot of the year, which yeah. is totally understandable. You know, he doesn't want his life to just be tennis. But just based on talent, the grass as well really suits him, the quicker surface. He's got this amazing serve. Now at this stage, and what's crazy is this is his first Wimbledon quarterfinal for eight years. He okay. came on and beat Nadal as a kid, really. 19 he was. No one had heard of him. And he beat the great Nadal in four sets. And everyone thought, this is going to be the guy. Mm. 
no quarterfinals since then at Wimbledon. One quarterfinal at the Australian Open, which was 2015, so like six months after that. It's been a long, long wait. But now he's here. He, he's the favourite to reach the semi-final. He plays Christian Garin, who's a clay quarter, really. He won an amazing match today in five sets. He was two sets to love down. First time this tournament anyone's come back from two sets down God, to win. Yeah. And he saved two match points. Wow. So he, wow. he was right on the precipice, but you wonder how much that's taken out of him. Um, but there is always that uncertainty with Kyrgios. But if he can get up for it and really focus, I think he should win that match. And then he could play Rafael Nadal in the semi-final, which is such a mouth-watering prospect. That was the level of carried away I was hoping for. Good. <laughs> well, you got you. it. And I, I did loved get it. it. Thank so you. thank you for asking for well, it. Well, thank you. He's made a lot of people believers, I would say that. Yeah, me included. Mm. But what about my women's pick, Halep? How's she getting on? It's not good news. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. It's great news. Oh, he's Simon Cowell. Always got to do that. Always got to do Simon Cowell boot camp. Oh my, am I through to boot camp? You're through, you're through to judges' oh, houses. Dear. That, oh that's God. how good I can't it is. Believe it. Um, Tell me more. Yeah, she is in scintillating form. I mean, I don't want to jinx her because the way that it can go is that you have some great wins, but then out of nowhere comes a defeat. But she beat the fourth seed today, Paula Badosa, handily. Wow. Six two six one and easy peasy. That yeah, she is flying. galloping. She's flying. But she does have a tough quarterfinal. She does have a tough quarterfinal, okay, I would say let's that. Not talk, let's not talk let's about not dwell that. On that. No, she's let's, flying high. She's flying high, and she's the highest seeded player in her half. She's got a decent chance. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Yeah, mm. that pick is looking really, really good. I like that my role is sort of listen to you two talk about tennis. And <laughs> occasionally I'll do a bad joke about a player's name. Both of you will ignore it, and we'll move on. Yeah, they don't always land, do they? It's no. not a 50-50 chance, 50, but I like 50. that you keep going. I, I can't help myself, <laughs> can I? I can't help myself. So, Charlie, who's left then in the women's draw that you're really, you know, you've got your money on? Well, I, would, I, w- I don't have my money on anyone in the same way as I do Djokovic. It's a much more even playing field. And again, all the Bitcoin I gave him is on, it, is yeah, on Djokovic. Exactly. <laughs> all my crypto sort of <laughs> spread in various different places. Ons Jabur is looking really good. She's in the. She plays uh, tomorrow. Okay. And I would make her a big favourite against Marie Brushkova to reach the semi-final. Halep and Anisimova. I actually think whoever wins that one will probably reach the final. That's a tasty quarter-final yeah. match. Um, so those are probably the big ones. Yeah, uh, I want to get to know these players. So uh, can we get some homework set for you, Charlie? Mm. When you're next here on the next podcast, I'd like you to echo share some amazing facts about the remaining players, if that's okay. So as we uh, get towards the finals, we can get a sort of real sense of who they are off court as well as on court. Brit, yeah, that is so up my street. I will very happy to do that. One big stat or just fact a good about everyone fact yeah. about a solid fact toys. I think well they don't have to be fun <laughs> let's not narrow it a down a really solemn fact <laughs> about everyone left I'll take a couple of quite <laughs> grim facts really that's what you no. want no, no. I, a mixture a bit of light and shade a exactly, a mixture, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say let the fact dictate how fun it is alright yeah. <laughs> let the fact do the talking um, now as we know Yesterday, Sunday, in our world, who knows when you're listening to this, but in real time, it was the 100th birthday of Centre Court yesterday. Happy birthday. Well, to celebrate the birthday, we have been asking you to send in your memories of Centre Court to us. Yes, Adam says, first time visiting, watching Serena Williams versus Justine Ennan. Just magic, says Adam. Charlie, do you remember that one? 
assuming that he's talking about the very memorable three set of the NN1 in 2007 yes they did also play a less exciting one which I assume he's not referring to <laughs> but that one in 2007 was amazing I mean Enan was on she went on this run she beat Serena in three straight grand slams she's one of the only players who ever really got the measure of Serena Justin Enan was kind of slight of build very technical player and, and just had a way against Serena uh, it was a really good rivalry and it was a shame because Enan retired young but yeah that was an amazing match Carol's actually also got in touch saying seeing Federer win his fifth Wimbledon title with Bjorn Borg in the Royal Box. I mean, Charlie, people used to think that on the men's side, Borg's five Wimbledon wins would never have been beaten. Then came Pete Sampras. Now there's Federer with eight titles. I mean, it just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, Federer with eight. Sampras got seven. I mean, Djokovic is on six. He could be on seven could by the end of the week. Could make it seven in a year. Yeah. So those guys have just completely shifted the dial it's amazing actually what they've done all these records Sampras was on 14 and we thought that would never be beaten and they've now got Nadal on 22 and Federer and Djokovic on 20 so yeah it, it speaks to their incredible longevity amazing memories thanks for sending these in keep them coming at Wimbledon on social media and at Evian Water and use the hashtag Wimbledon thanks so much Charlie see you next time thank you what can I say, Mole? Once again, I think we've served up another Action Pack podcast. <laughs> you just keep going, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. Tell you what, if you like what you're hearing, though, apart from that joke, do tell your friends <laughs> about it. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We are going to be back with another episode on Wednesday when we're going to be joined by another celebrity who shares our love of Wimbledon. Yes, when the remaining matches in the quarterfinals will be happening as well. Cannot wait. We will round up everything you need to know on and off the court. That's it from us. It's Spin. Spin, fun, oh. spin. Like, like a ball would spin. A joke's never good when you've got to explain spin. it. Spin. Each year, Evian give away 30 Wimbledon tickets to support a chosen community group in the UK. For 2023, they've selected the Young Urban Arts Foundation who strengthen well-being and build opportunities for disadvantaged youth in London through creativity and culture. The Evian team look forward to welcoming members of the Young Urban Arts Foundation to Wimbledon next year.